And so what we just sang was the song which Zechariah sang over John as he prophesied about the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Now let's turn to Lord's Day 51, page 563 in your book of praise. And here the church confesses what the Bible teaches with respect to the fifth petition of the prayer that our Lord teach, teaches us. What is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is teaching us to pray. He has taught us in the petitions that we've already considered here in the last weeks, he's taught us that we can pray to the king of the universe and call him Father. And he's taught us to pray to our Father, our heavenly Father, with a childlike reverence and trust. He has taught us to pray that Father's name be hallowed, as his kingdom comes, and that his kingdom may come more and more as his will is done. And Jesus has taught us to ask our Father for everything we need, day by day, to carry out our office and to carry out our calling in the kingdom, faithfully and willingly. And now we get to the fifth petition today. And in teaching us the fifth petition, the Lord Jesus gives us a good dose of reality. You see, the Lord Jesus knows us. He knows how quick we are to take the name which we carry and do or say things which bring shame, not glory, upon that name. The Lord Jesus knows how easy it is for us to, to mess up so badly in our lives that instead of advancing the kingdom, we seem to set the progress of the kingdom backwards. And the Lord Jesus knows how inclined we are to think that God's will is okay as long as we agree with it and that otherwise we're best off doing what we think is good. The Lord Jesus knows how liable we are to use God's very good gifts, both spiritual and material, to promote our will, not his, to further our kingdom, not his, to bring us glory, not him. And so the Lord Jesus knows that we are sinners. And he teaches us to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Forgive us our debts. Now, the Bible uses a wide-ranging vocabulary, literally dozens of terms to describe sin. To give some examples, it speaks of sin as, as missing the mark. When you're trying to shoot an arrow and you, you miss. Or it speaks of sin as, as transgressing set limits. It talks about sin as going off the right path. And here in the Lord's Prayer, sin is described as being in debt. That you owe something, that you have to pay something. 
You see, when we have sinned against God, there is an account to be settled. Satisfaction has to be made. We have offended God, and that has to be set right. Now, to whom is the Lord teaching this prayer? He is teaching this prayer to believers. This is a prayer for the saints of the kingdom of God. And one of the vital elements in any prayer uttered by the citizens of God's kingdom is the petition for forgiveness. And that's important. Jesus isn't teaching the people out there that don't know Jesus, that don't know God. He's not teaching them to ask, forgive us our debts. He's teaching us. Because Jesus is under no illusions that kingdom saints will be free from sin in this life. In fact, he tells us the opposite. If you look in your Bible at the first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 8, what does the, what does the Bible say? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then look at verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So if we say that we have no sin, which some people actually teach, some people actually teach that when you know Jesus, then you can be sinless in this life. The Bible says... If you say you have no sin, you're lying, you're deceiving yourself, you're calling God a liar. And then look at verse 9 of that same chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So fundamental to the Christian life and basic to Christian prayer is a deep, seated longing and plea for forgiveness. The Christian knows that he has been set free from the dominion of Satan. He knows that he is no longer a slave of sin. She knows that she no longer loves sin but hates it. She knows full well from the gospel and from the sacraments that God has washed away all of her sin and iniquity and that being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because we Christians know the power of the gospel and the power of salvation that we recoil with horror when we see how much sin still clings to us, still shows up in our lives. We see this evil which clings to us, these, these outright transgressions in our lives, and we realize that we are poor and that we are needy and that we need the Lord Jesus because we are wretched sinners in and of ourselves. We need to cry out to God for forgiveness. Now look at that line in the Catechism there on page 563. For the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions. Now, some people get really uncomfortable reading those words, and they say, why do we have this in the catechism? The gospel is good news. Can't we talk about the victory that we have in Jesus? Why all this sin talk? It gets so depressing. 
We are not sinners anymore. We are saints, they say. Enough of this old-fashioned, depressing language. We are children of God, children of light, saints washed in the blood of Jesus, more than conquerors. Let's hear more talk about victory and joy. Enough of all this depressing stuff about sin and misery and wretchedness. That's all in the past. Well, maybe in the depth of your heart, you find yourself agreeing. Maybe you think, well, I have a hard time describing myself as a wretched sinner. Sure, I'm not perfect yet. I mean, who is? But I'm hardly a a wretched sinner. Brother and sister, this is the confession of the church, and the church is confessing what the scripture teaches us about God and about us. And if we have a hard time recognizing ourselves in these words, the problem is not with the confession nor with the scripture, the problem is with me. If I have a hard time recognizing myself as a wretched sinner by nature, it's because I know neither the awesome holiness of God, nor the terrible corruption of sin. You know, if you have a room in your house which is not very well lit, you can get away with not cleaning it very often because you can't see the dirt, can you? But if you have really, really bright lights and a white carpet, you'll see every little speck of dust. And that's how the Christian life is. The brighter the light of the gospel shines in our hearts and lives, the more the glory and the majesty and the light and the holiness of God just pours into our souls, the more we start seeing the crud in the nooks and in the crannies, the stuff that still needs to be scrubbed away. You see, sin is a jarring element in our relationship with God. God cannot dwell with sin. God does one thing to sin. He destroys it. He consumes everything sinful with the fire of his judgment and his anger. Sin sets God against us and us against God. Sin attacks the relationship that we have with him. And it has to be dealt with. And it has to be recognized. And we can't just pretend it away. You see, in the fourth, in the fourth petition, we've just asked God for our daily bread. But in the fifth petition that is before us this afternoon, Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, how can we serve with joy in his kingdom, enjoying his good gifts of daily food and drink? How can we serve if we have no peace with God? How can we serve faithfully and and willingly in our office and calling in the kingdom if the king's anger is burning against us? If there's something that needs to be dealt with, if there's something that needs to be paid, if things are not right between us and God. Now, I know that you know that sin 
destroys relationships. I know you know that because you're all sinners as I am. We know what sin does. It pollutes. It destroys. It ruins. If you've offended your spouse, if something is not right between you and it hasn't been dealt with, you can't just pretend everything's okay. I mean, we try that sometimes, don't we? But it doesn't work. You can't go on with the business of administering the household and raising the family. Things have to be set right because the offense sits there like an elephant in the room. The offense sits there in the relationship like a poison. It, it destroys the relationship. It, it holds back the intimacy. It's got to be dealt with. Now, sometimes we're quite the cowards when it comes to, to dealing with sin. We're so afraid of those words, forgive me. You know how hard it is to say that? It's very really hard. Just, just say, forgive me. We often think that doing something nice is a good enough substitute for setting things right. So a husband might buy his wife some flowers. When really, she's just aching to hear from him the words, forgive me, I have wronged you. Let's make things right between us. And sometimes, you know what? We treat God that way. We try to buy God off by doing something good to make up for the area in which we let God down. Have you ever tried that? Oh, I sinned. I've done something which displeases God. Look, Lord, I'm reading some chapters of the Bible. Does that help? Am I making up for it? Well, the Lord Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that there's only one way to deal with sin, and that is confession. It is to plead for forgiveness. The Lord Jesus teaches us to recognize our sin, to own up to our sin, and to cry out to God, and to cry out to him in this way, Lord, do not send me the bill. Do not require the payment which I cannot pay. Don't call in the debt that I have incurred. Don't demand it from me. I am unable to pay it but demand it from Christ. Now, do we understand the terrible power of the words which Jesus is teaching us to pray? Sin demands payment. Sin has to be dealt with. And sin can only be paid for. Sin can only be dealt with through the shedding of blood. Someone has to die. An agonizing death, crushed by the burden of God's eternal, hot, burning, just anger against sin. That's what it takes for God to answer this petition. Now, we can be so stupidly complacent as we pray those familiar words, forgive us our debts. We're so used to praying them. We don't even think it's a big deal. Do you ever notice we're praying and praying and praying and then we're about to say amen? Oh, yes. And we pray this all in the forgiveness of our sins, amen. It just comes out the end as an afterthought. 
Do we realize what we're asking? Do we realize what we're praying? Do we realize to our horror that even the smallest sin that we have committed today would be enough to plunge the entire creation into the corruption and decay of the fall? To ruin the entire cosmos. The smallest sin that I've committed today is enough to do that. That even the most insignificant transgression in the last 24 hours would require an eternity of suffering in hell in order to pay for it. We can't process, we can't compute that kind of mathematics or accounting because we're sinners living in a sinful world, surrounded by sin, used to sin, and we have no idea of the holiness of God. And so last Friday, God gave us a little picture as we celebrated, as we came together and remembered the death of our Lord. God was telling us, you think sin is just a little thing? This is what it takes to deal with sin. This is what it takes. Now, as the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray the fifth petition, he knows that he is signing his own death warrant because he is teaching us to pray, oh God, we deserve to be crushed by your anger. Our sins merit eternal death, an eternity of hellish torment and separation from God. That's what I owe. But God, don't send us the bill. Don't count our sins against us. Send the bill to Jesus. Let him pay for my transgressions. Let him be crushed for my iniquities. Let him taste the bitterness of eternal death and hellish agony which my sins deserve. Do you want it put more clearly? When we pray, forgive us our debts, then we are in effect praying, oh God, kill Jesus. Kill him. Pour out his blood. Oh God, deal with my sins by shedding the blood of your own beloved son. Now if Jesus himself did not teach us to pray this, who ever would dare to ask God for such a thing? You see that in the beginning of the answer there in Lord's Day 51? For the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions. For the sake of Christ's blood, because of Good Friday. You see, in our prayer for forgiveness, we go back to the source and the font of our justification. Oh God, let things be made right between us. Let us have peace with God. Take the blood of your son Jesus and scrub away from our lives anything and everything which sets us against you and you against us. Now, who can pray this prayer? And, and what kind of an answer can we expect? Well, we said it already. This prayer is for kingdom citizens. It is a remarkable privilege 
that we have the right to ask God to settle our accounts. To lisp a simple prayer like little children and have a world of wrongdoing just wiped away. See, kingdom citizens have the mark of the kingdom right here on our forehead. And so as we pray, forgive us our debts, God speaks to us through our baptism. And we carry our baptism not just in church, in the hours of worship. We carry our baptism with us wherever we go, at every moment, and in every place throughout the week. And what is God preaching to us in our baptism? He is saying to us, I have washed you in the blood of my son. Believe it. Now, do you wonder if God forgives you? Have you ever wondered, Lord, how in the world can you put up with me? Because I keep coming back and asking for forgiveness for the same offenses. You're actually ashamed to say, Lord, forgive me, because you think, well, does God even want to hear me? Is it possible that he could forgive me one more time again? Or, or maybe you've done something recently or in the far past, in, in the past of your life, and, and, and you're wondering, is it possible that God could forgive a sin so horrible that I'm so ashamed of? Maybe nobody else knows about it. Just me and just God. And maybe we're afraid to ask for forgiveness because we're so ashamed. Brother, sister, know this. This is the gospel. This is how it works. Forgive us our debts. I have washed you. Even before we ask, the answer is there. Turn to Psalm 32 for a moment in your Bible. And look at what happens to the psalmist. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sin which isn't dealt with is going to eat you up. It's going to fester. But look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I own my sin. I confess my sin. Look at that. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See how there's no major paragraph between the last two sentences there in verse 5. There's not a couple of pages of blank Paper between the last two questions, the last two sentences of verse five. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and right on, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Almost before we ask, he forgives. That's how quick he is. That's how ready he is to forgive. He's not gonna make you jump through all kinds of hoops, he's not gonna demand all kinds of satisfaction. The satisfaction has been made. It was made on Good Friday. There is forgiveness for the asking. The blood of Jesus will never run out. 
There is an inexhaustible supply of forgiveness. There is no amount of sin too great for Jesus' blood to wash it away. There is no sin so foul that his blood is not powerful enough to just purge it from our lives and purify us. And as if that were not enough, God gives us in the, the Lord's Supper the sacrament of the fourth and the fifth petitions. Do we, do we ask God for our daily bread? Well, at the table of the Lord, God feeds us with bread from heaven. Do we ask God to forgive our debts? Well, at the table of the Lord, the wine speaks of the blood of Christ poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is not a shot in the dark. It's not like, well, like a guy in an airplane that's falling out of the sky and says, well, you know, if there is a God, I may as well give it a shot and hope for the best and pray. No, the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is a prayer that we can and must pray with complete confidence and total certainty. We can pray for peace with God through the blood of the cross because he has done it. He has paid it. He has dealt with it. He has washed it away. Now, because it's such a sure thing, the next thing that the Lord Jesus adds to the petition is rather shocking because he says, forgive us our debts. And then surprisingly, he adds, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that's rather alarming. What is Jesus saying? It sounds like that God will forgive us in proportion to or depending upon what we do. Jesus doesn't sound very reformed here. It sounds like a lot depends on man's contribution, on man's actions. Now, Jesus probably knew how hard this would be for us to receive, so he goes out of his way to make his point. And you saw that in Matthew chapter 6, at the end of the reading, after the Lord's Prayer, he, he went back to the, the fifth petition and he emphasized it. It's the only petition that he explains further. It's the fifth petition. This is what he says. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the Lord Jesus is saying, well, in, in case you didn't get it, when I said, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, let me make it absolutely clear. In Matthew chapter uh, 6, verses 14, 15. He says, let me make it absolutely clear. There is no forgiveness for you if there is no forgiveness from you. Now remember that the Lord Jesus is not saying this to unredeemed sinners. He is not offering salvation based on the inherent goodness and forgiving nature of the sinner. No, he's speaking to sons and daughters of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, people who know his grace, people that have new hearts, people in whom lives and dwells the power of the Spirit of God. 
And what he is saying is this, peace with me and peace with your fellow man belong together. You can't have one without the other. And the Bible makes this clear. You look at the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what, what happened? Well, the, the consequences were broken relationships, not just with God, but the necessary consequence was also broken relationships between human beings, husband against wife, brother against brother. And so in redemption, that's fixed. When peace is restored with God, it is restored with our fellow man. What does the Apostle John tell us? You can't love God and hate your brother. It's an impossibility. They go together, loving God, loving your brother. They go together. There is an inexhaustible fountain of forgiving love which flows from God through Christ to us. And the character of forgiving love is that it needs to keep flowing. It needs to fill our hearts and lives and overflow from us to the people around us. And what happens when we stop the flow? What happens when we, when we harbor an unforgiving spirit, when we harbor resentment instead of cultivating grace, when we, when we have hatred instead of love? That doesn't just mess up the relationship with our neighbor. It messes up our relationship with God. If we stop the flow from us, then this stops the flow to us. You don't have to be a, an engineer with a PhD in fluid dynamics to, to understand that. So what's going on when we harbor an unforgiving spirit? Well, we have an, when we harbor an unforgiving spirit, and uh, a spirit full of resentment, then we have a twisted idea of God's grace. We're saying, you know what, I'm a sinner, a wretched sinner, and I sure need grace. I sure need forgiveness. I sure need mercy. It's good for me, but I don't want it for others. So it's, it's really a, a loss of all proportion. God can forgive me. God should forgive me. God must forgive me. But that other sinner over there, I cannot forgive. The, the puny and insignificant offense committed against my most high majesty is unspeakably worse than the world of transgression that I have committed against the most high majesty and holiness of God. So when we refuse to forgive others, we're making light of our own sin and guilt. We're making light of God's holiness. We set ourselves up as being more holy, more righteous than God himself. And we show, you remember that guy in the parable that was forgiven a lot? And then he went off and shook his co-worker, his fellow servant, who had owed him a little bit. We show, like that man, that we have no idea of how much we ourselves have been forgiven. It shows how incredibly small-minded we can be. And our small-mindedness can choke the flow of God's forgiving love. You see, our resentment works away like a, like a poison, like a rust. It corrodes our hearts and lives and relationships. And oh, how we fallen sinners love 
to nurture and cultivate resentment. Sometimes it's, it's just a word that somebody said years ago. They've long forgotten it, but we haven't. It's there, eating away. And like rust and corrosion in the water pipes, our resentment and our unforgiving spirit choke the life-giving flow of God's forgiving love to us and through us. We won't let it flow through us. We won't let it flow through us to others. And as a result, there are just a few drips of God's grace in our parched lives. Now, Jesus is teaching us to pray a very dangerous petition. He is teaching us to ask God to give us grace in the measure that we pass it on, to give us forgiveness in the measure that we grant forgiveness. And that's frightening. And so we need to plead with God, oh, Father, show us your grace. Let us not... Let us not only know your love for ourselves, but show your love to others. Rip out of my heart and life every petty resentment, every miserably kept record of wrongs, every corroding and ungracious thing which is clogging the flow of your forgiving love. Let it flow. Let me be fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive my neighbor. Let me love to forgive. Let my speech and my thoughts and my life be marked by gracious Christ-like, forgiving love. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, we are asking God not only to let us live in peace with him, but to be at peace with one another. And that means that whatever is outstanding between us needs to be dealt with. This is important. It needs to be dealt with. Forgiving is not just pretending that things didn't happen. Forgiveness involves dealing with the problem and setting it right. It involves confession, owning up to sin, and repentance, turning away from sin. And Matthew 18 sets out the process. It's not a process of, you did something against me and I am going to make sure you pay for it. No, it's a process of, listen, You've sinned against me and against God. And let's settle this by finding peace in the blood of the cross. Now, this is important. In order to have forgiveness, there needs to be confession and repentance. If the one who has offended us or sinned against us is not repentant, does not confess their sin, does not turn away from their sin, God does not call us to pretend that nothing happened. We can ask God for his righteous judgment on impenitent sinners. But what God calls from us at the same time is that we cultivate a spirit of willingness to forgive, that we long to see that person, that unrepentant person, the person that is blocking the flow of grace into their own lives, that we long to see them changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, dealing with their sin, confessing their sin, repenting of their sin, and that we're there just aching to forgive them. But that aching to forgive does not mean to say that we cannot at the same time ask God that his justice is also administered. 
So we come to the Lord. It's the only way we can deal with this. We come to the Lord and we pray to him, Lord, we pray that you would grant us peace with one another, that we might fully enjoy peace with you. Help us to take stock of all the hard, calloused, and scarred areas of our heart. Those wrongs that we've stored up and recorded, those resentments which we harbor. And by by your grace, cleanse from our hearts and lives these miserable symbols of our ungraciousness and our unforgiving spirits. Give us the grace and the courage to deal with sin, to settle what is outstanding, to set right that which is wrong. The Prince of Peace, he calls us to the table of his forgiveness. To let us know what true peace and true forgiveness is amongst one another. And so let us be peacemakers who sowing in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is hard for us, but it's only possible because of him. And so we ask him, Lord Jesus, you've taught us to, to, to pray for this. And we know it's possible, Heavenly Father. Because the blood of your Son makes us right with you and right with one another. And so, Holy Spirit, open up the floodgates of your forgiving love. Let it carry us along like a flood. Let it fill our lives. Let it abundantly overflow our hearts and lives to touch those around us with your forgiving love. Yes, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Grant us peace with you and peace with one another for the sake of the precious blood of Christ. Amen.